Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Alright, what's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell, the Friday edition. Raja is on vacation, hitting the slopes. I was there last week. It's his turn this week, so I'm riding solo for a little bit. Chip Patterson's gonna join us. Our own CBS Sports, uh, Chip Patterson, to break down some college basketball, some hoops. Uh, we're going to get Jamie Eisenberger in here later to help us with some NFL talk. But we got a loaded boat for you on tap for today. The Antonio Brown sweepstakes were really heating up, but then they hit a massive wall in the middle of the night. If you missed it, we'll get you all caught up on that. Uh, David Irving has decided to quit football and did it in a fashion which I don't think we've ever seen before. And good for him for going out with a blaze of glory. Literally, a blaze of glory is what he went out in. Uh, and we're just going to get to a ton of stuff today. We've got a ton of fun. Phil Mickelson hit one of the wildest shots you'll ever see. We're going to show you that later on as well. But let's start off with Antonio Brown. It was been reported. The Steelers came out and said, look, we want a deal done by Friday, today. So they're trying to get their potential suitors lined up in a row to get them to come to the table with their best offer. They don't want to be sitting on Antonio Brown next week when the uh, free agency opens. They don't want to have to pay him the $2.5 million that they're going to have to pay him March 17th, which is in his contract. So they're saying, bring all offers. The problem is the offers that they're being brought to the table aren't that many, and they're not that great. So you have this potential storm swirling of reporters salivating, saying, man, I want to be the guy to get the scoop. I want to get it right. I want to be the guy that breaks the story. Combined with everybody knows Friday is the date. So you kind of had this perfect swarm swirling. And Ian Rappaport is the guy who kind of got caught up in the storm. He reported late last night, probably around midnight, that a deal was really close to being done. And this drives me nuts when reporters use this term because it's an out. If you, if you're wrong on it, you can always say, well, I said it was close, but man, it looked like our boy rap was reporting that it actually was going to happen. So, uh, at nine hours ago, so 1 a.m., uh, Ian Rappaport was live on NFL network and said that things, there are things to work out, but the deal is close to being done. Talking about the bills working out a trade for Antonio Brown. So that set off a whole Twitter firestorm last night. Everybody's all in on it saying, man, this is crazy. I was hoping it would happen because I think it'd be an absolute disaster if Antonio Brown went to Buffalo and Rappaport updated it uh, at about 7 a.m. this morning. Update from the Antonio Brown saga. The Bills and Steelers have been in aggressive talks about a trade and are close on compensation. Sources say it is not final. The main question is, and one that has kept the trade from crossing the final hurdle, does Antonio Brown show up? So Ian Rappaport is out there saying it's close to happening. It's done. I think it's going to happen. Meanwhile, you, this is like you got the heavyweights of NFL reporting going back and forth. Adam Schefter is out reporting saying, hold on a second. I don't know if this is good as everybody thinks it is. Uh, sources are telling me, this is uh, Adam Schefter, another, another source on a potential Antonio Brown to Buffalo trade said it will not happen. Quote, I don't think the Buffalo uh, Bills trade was ever close to happening, said one source involved in these talks. Um, Buffalo has spoken to Pittsburgh about a potential trade for Antonio Brown, as have a handful of other t uh, teams. Those talks occurred only in recent days. A source, again, this morning said it was unlikely. So Adam Schefter saying, hold on, I don't think it's going to happen, according to his sources. Ian Rappaport says, no, I think it's going to happen. The killer that really shut this all down, and I'll give it out, JLC, our own Jason LaCanfora, was all over this as well. In the middle of the night, he tweeted out, 
Uh, the bills are nowhere close. This is at 3 a.m., middle of the night. These dudes work 24-7. Middle of the night, JLC puts out, the bills are nowhere close to trading for Antonio Brown, and the Broncos and Cardinals and Jets were never in it. Be careful what you read these days, folks. It gets more ridiculous by the day, especially in some parts. Ouch. That's a pretty good shot fired at Ian Rappaport and every other reporter, but I do agree with him because it is harder than ever to find the truth uh, in today's environment. Political news, sports news, whatever news you want to gauge, it is really tough to get to the bottom of it. Well, you know what you do? Instead of using sources, anonymous sources, you get somebody who's willing to go on the record, and that's what Adam Schefter did because he got Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, on the record this morning at 7 a.m. to say, quote, we inquired about Antonio Brown on Tuesday and kept talks open with the Steelers. We had positive discussions, but ultimately it didn't make sense for either side as great a player as Antonio Brown is. We have moved on, and our focus is on free agency. Boom. Deal is dead, at least for now. Uh, if I think it is dead. Because now you're getting more reports, and this is, again, we're kind of giving you the update on the blow-by-blow from the reporters going back and forth on each other. So this morning, Jerry Dulac reported that the deal was really close to being done, but what was holding up for it was that Antonio Brown did not want to go uh, to Buffalo. And this is the major hang-up with this whole deal. Because everybody wants out. The Steelers don't want Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown doesn't want to play on the Steelers again. The problem is Antonio Brown wants to select where he goes. He's not a free agent. He doesn't get to do that. He's going to go somewhere that the Steelers can work out a trade compensation package, but also a team that Antonio Brown will be, A, happy playing for, and B, will want a restructured contract because he's made it very clear he wants guaranteed money. That's why I don't even think this deal happens. The Steelers said they want it today. I think you're seeing these major roadblocks because Antonio Brown is acting a fool. He really is. And he's getting his, uh, you know, he's getting advice from Drew Rosenhaus's agent, but this is the problem. He's not a free agent. You've got to go where the Steelers can trade you to. I think this thing is going to get uglier. I don't think it guns today because if Antonio Brown is sitting back trying to pick and choose where he goes, this will never happen. Because the Steelers aren't going to send him to a good spot. I mean, the Steelers, I was hoping this would have happened because that would have been one big middle finger from the Steelers to, to Antonio Brown saying, yeah, we'll go ahead and trade you. We'll give you to Buffalo. And I would have loved if it would have been a fourth-round pick or a fifth-round pick just to show how desperately they were willing to screw over Antonio Brown because I do feel that's where they are. They're going to take a $21 million cap hit. They're not just going to go away quietly. They're not going to let Antonio Brown win. Because as much as you want to say the players are part of the game, they don't hold the power. It's held by the teams, by the contracts, and by the owners. And the Steelers are not going to let Antonio Brown win in this situation. They're not going to send him to a good spot. So I don't think this thing gets done because of the hang-up and the baggage that Antonio Brown is going to bring along. If it was just quiet and everything was smooth and Antonio Brown would have gone behind the scenes and said, I just want out. I don't like playing with Ben. I'm not happy as a Steeler. It just hasn't worked out. Can you guys trade me? I think it probably would have happened. But because Antonio Brown has basically sabotaged his own trade value by going on you know, uh, every single network, by going on uh, social media and saying, I want guaranteed money, I don't even need football. Like, you think a coach wants to sign a player who says he doesn't need football? What happens if he's not happy after eight games, not getting enough balls? If he says he doesn't love football, he doesn't care, he doesn't need it, you think he's going to stick around through tough times? Players, coaches, no one wants that. I don't even think players want that in their locker room. Coaches definitely don't. If I'm a quarterback, I don't want Antonio Brown in my locker room. His attitude is toxic, and it can spread 
like a virus through a locker room. You don't want any part of that in an NFL locker room because in a 16-game schedule, there are ups and there are downs. And when it's up, everybody's good. And when you're winning, everybody's happy. But you know what? No one goes undefeated. The Patriots did in the regular season. The Dolphins did it in 1973. No one goes undefeated. There are going to be rough patches, and that's when you need guys who have character, and Antonio Brown has none of it. So I don't want him. And I think what you're seeing unfold is not a lot of teams want him either. And teams that are desperate, the Jets don't want him. The Cardinals don't want him. They're saying their offers are off the table because they don't want a player with Antonio Brown's attitude in their locker room. As good as he is, they don't want him. And I don't think anybody's going to want him when it's all said and done. Danny, so it looks like the newest report is that the Steelers still want a first-round pick for Antonio Brown, but there are teams who are waiting to see if that price drops. I don't think they're going to get a first-round pick for him. So the only team that I thought, Coca, that could have gotten or given a first round was the Raiders because they have three of them. That's why I really the uh, the Raiders were the Vegas favorite to land Antonio Brown. It's because they have the draft capital. They've got – the picks to court sort of say, yeah, we'll give away a, we'll give away a first rounder because they have three of them. So it doesn't hurt them as bad. I do think, and this is why the Steelers basically have laid their cards on the table and said, we want a deal by Friday is because they know, they know the offers that they're getting, that the, the offers they're getting for trade compensation are not good and that they're not many of them either. So I do feel like teams are just going to sit back and watch this unfold, and they're probably laughing right now in their offices at this whole Bills scenario that's unfolded over the last 12, 15 hours. They're saying, this is a joke. Like, are you kidding me? And I, the Bills might have been willing to give up that first-round pick, but then all of a sudden you say Antonio Brown says, I don't want to go play in Buffalo. I'm from South Florida. I, you know, I want, I want Garen, I want you to give me a new three-year deal, which is something he stated publicly. And the Bills are like, hold on a second. We can't even guarantee that he's going to be on our team. We're not parting with anything. And that's the bigger issue because I do think the Steelers, when push comes to shove or when they realize there's no market for Antonio Brown, they'll get desperate and say, we just want to unload him. The problem is if they get to that point, is Antonio Brown going to want to go to that team? He doesn't care what the Steelers are getting. He doesn't care. He's all about Antonio Brown. He's all about getting this guaranteed money, which I think is a farce. I don't think he's going to get that anywhere. And I know teams are desperate. I just don't feel like it's going to happen. And the Buffalo Bills said thanks, but no thanks. And I think you're going to see a lot more teams start saying that too. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it right here at CBS Sports HQ. We'll keep you up to date to it. We're 24-7. So if anything breaks, we'll be all over it. But I would not be waiting around for anything to happen today, even though the Steelers desperately want it to happen. I think this thing's going to play out a little bit longer and you're still going to hear more issues that crop up because Antonio Brown wants the perfect situation, and it just doesn't exist. All right, from one absolute knucklehead to another one. Hey, this is the NFL. It's off season. We got to talk about some stuff. You know what some guys are doing? They're retiring. David Irving of the Dallas Cowboys, who was suspended, uh, has decided to, as opposed to getting clean, you know, saying, hey, I'll put down the weed for a little bit. He said, nope, I am going to quit football. Here he is, in his own words, David Irving, telling you why he's going to hang up his cleats. And it's not, I don't know, when you start talking about addiction, that's a sensitive subject. It's funny, you know, some people are like, oh, you're addicted to weed, you're addicted to this and that. I mean, if I'm going to be addicted to something, I'd rather be marijuana, which is medical. It's a medicine. I do not consider it a drug rather than the Xanax bars or the, the hydros or the, the Seroquel and, 
all that crazy that they feed you, you know. So, like I said, it ain't about smoking weed. How many NBA players you see getting in trouble about this? How many coaches you see getting in trouble about this? How many baseball players getting in trouble? How many UFC players getting in trouble? How many actors? You know, how many people getting in trouble over it? Oh, my goodness. Um, it's Friday. Trying to have a fun day. But my man David Irving is an absolute idiot. I'm sorry. Like, some of those comments in there are some of the dumbest comments I think I've ever heard from a professional athlete's mouth. Uh, I'd rather be addicted to marijuana, which isn't a drug. I got news for you. It is a drug. Just like all those Xanax and the pills you were talking about, marijuana is the same thing. I do think he has an issue because if you want to smoke marijuana, if you want to smoke weed in the NFL, you can. Guys do it all the time. I'd say 70% of the NFL players probably smoke weed. Guess what? They don't get caught, you know, because they're smart. Because they realize there is about a six-week window where you have to test. And it's your annual test for marijuana. And so they're going to test you between six weeks. So what you have to do, you have to put it down for about 30 days before that six-week period. And then as soon as you test, you can go straight to it. You go straight back and light up and have all – you can smoke all you want. But if you don't do it within that period, you're going to get busted. Or excuse me, if you do. And so obviously David Irvin couldn't figure that out, which is – it's basically my kindergartner could figure out the time of year. She's learning her seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter. That's all you have to do is figure out the season when it's drug testing season. If you can't figure that out, you are an idiot because every player talks about it. They warn each other. Coaches even tell you, hey, the test is coming up. Make sure you guys stay clean. So if you can't put down the weed for a couple months, then yeah, I think you do have a problem. And that to me is a bigger issue. And the thing about David Irving, he goes on there and he says, hey, how come you never see NBA players get into trouble? Or how come you don't see coaches? Because they're smarter, because they avoid tests, because they don't drive around with their car and get busted. By the way, NBA players do get in trouble for it. They do get misdemeanors. They do get arrested if they break the law. It's a part of being in the NFL that I don't have a problem with. And the NFL is probably going to bend some on this rule and loosen up on the restrictions, which I don't have a problem with. They want to kind of lean with society the way society's going. You have players that play in states where it's legal to consume or to smoke marijuana. Then I'm okay if they want to lighten up the load a little bit. But you know what? You have to be an idiot to get caught smoking weed in the NFL through the drug policy. It really is, it, it really is a simple IQ test. And to me, David Irving failed in a big way. So I don't feel any remorse for him. I do have a hunch that he'll probably be back. He'll he'll realize, hey, once those checks start coming in, that he'll miss the game of football. And there were some interesting comments that he had. Everyone questions my commitment to football, but let's get it straight here and now. I love football. Yeah, you can really tell. I wouldn't be here without it. Don't get me wrong. I love football. However, I don't love the NFL. The NFL is not football. You need to understand that. What you see us all do, the game and bleep, that's what 20% of the real bleep we're doing yeah, you know what it's called? A job. The football, the games are the fun stuff. I totally agree with you there. But the rest of it, it's the work that goes into it. It's why you make millions of dollars. Yes, it's fun to play for three hours on Sunday, but it takes a lot more than that to be a professional athlete in the National Football League. If you don't like it, then hang it up. And that's what you did. Good luck. I bet you'll be back, though. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right, let's do some college hoops with our guy Chip Patterson. One of my favorites here. Love going on his podcast, talk some college football, but I need some college hoops expertise. Chip, let's get to it. You are in Chapel Hill. Full disclosure, I grew up a Chapel Hill, a UNC fan. I've spent many a days uh, at UNC basketball camp with Dean Smith running the show there. I'm a Tar Heel fan, but it's the Duke-UNC rivalry, and the question that everybody wants to know is what is up with Zion Williamson? Coach K said he's not probably going to play in this one. When do you think he's back, Chip? I think he's going to come back on Thursday in the ACC tournament. That's when Duke will be playing on Thursday night. And that's because letting him sit through the end of the regular season and into the ACC tournament with the double bye gives him another week. And this is going to fall right into what I was expecting because through all of the different parties in the decision-making process to bring Zion Williamson back, I said from the start when that Nike exploded that Duke and Mike Krzyzewski would be the most cautious. They were cautious with Kyrie Irving. They've been cautious with Emile Jefferson and other key key players. They're always going to err on the side of caution and only bring a player back maybe days or even a full week after they could get out. And I think some of that is for Zion's, you know, own benefit because think about how excited Zion Williamson, the human being would be to get into this game. And he would be so hyped up that I think that as a coach, Mike Krzyzewski might be a little bit concerned that Zion just trying to give his all to this rivalry to give his all to his brothers, his teammates that he has stated that he wants to play again with uh, before the end of the season, that he might push himself a little bit too far. So I'm not expecting to see him on Saturday night, but I do think that on Thursday night, when Duke takes the floor in Charlotte in the ACC tournament for their opener, I think he will be with the team. So Raja and I on here have talked a lot about Zion and, you know, the whole discussion in college basketball as soon as he got hurt was should he play, should he not play. I think he's coming back like you do. Let's say he has a setback or let's say that he decides, hey, I'm preparing for the NBA draft. I don't think it happens. But can Duke win it all without Zion? No. Duke cannot win the national championship without Zion Williamson, and it's because of some of the same things that we've saw is that it totally changes the way that opposing teams game plan. Uh, they sag off of all the other Duke players, and they turn their eyes on R.J. Barrett. And R.J. Barrett is a phenomenal player who could be a national player of the year in any other year that he's not teammates with Zion Williamson. But what we saw, and it started in that North Carolina game, is you leave Trey Jones with some space. You leave Jack White with some space. All the other defense, they just focus in their attention on R.J. Barrett, and R.J. Barrett hero ball seems to be the kind of offense that Coach K is comfortable running. R.J. Barrett hero ball can get you to the Elite Eight, maybe even to the Final Four, but when it comes time to winning it all in Minneapolis, I don't think Duke can win it all without Zion Williamson. All right, let's move to my favorite conference, the SEC. They've had a pretty good year in basketball. Tennessee spent a lot of time at number one. Kentucky's (laughs) always in the mix. LSU has had a really good season so far. What do you think, uh, which team is the best from the SEC? 
I think Tennessee is the best team uh, in the SEC, and a lot of that has been because of the development of Jordan Bone at the guard position. He has been fantastic, playing like one of the you know best handful of point guards in the entire country. We knew Grant Williams, who, by the way, is about to become the first back-to-back SEC player of the year since Corliss Williamson at Arkansas. Stand up. You know, Admiral Schofield, the senior, he's been there from the start. This team has been phenomenal since the start of last year's SEC conference schedule. I am not scared at all by some of the setbacks. I think that is the natural fatigue of playing together for all that time. They are the best team. Now, that said, I still think Kentucky's the team that can win it all. I don't think Kentucky is the best team in the SEC, particularly not without Reed Travis, but I absolutely think that the way that Keldon Johnson has come along, the way that P.J. Washington can dominate a game down low, I just think Kentucky is the team more likely to win it all. Tennessee is, is phenomenal, but I think they're actually a little bit weak on the defensive end when you need to win six games in a row to cut down the nets. So LSU has been a real surprise story from the SEC. They've had a really strong year, uh, but it has started with some controversy in the last couple uh, 24 hours as Yahoo Sports came out with a report that has, you know, uh, Will Wade, their head coach, brokering deals as a part of this whole shoe scandal that's come out over the past couple years. What impact do you think this has on them? Like, do they decide to go ahead and take the penalty? Do they fire Will Wade? Or does this just ride or die with Will Wade? Well, this, I mean, the season started with tragedy. You know, they had a death within their basketball family early in the season that they've had to, to move on and recover from. And that's been an emotional thing for uh, Coach Wade and the rest of that LSU basketball program to deal with. And then the FBI comes in too. It's just one thing after another. I think LSU has really gripped on to Will Wade and been willing to, to ride with him through the thick of this because he's not uh, the only coach here. And they're probably taking some notes from what Arizona is doing with Sean Miller. Remember, Sean Miller, he stepped away when things broke with DeAndre Ayton, when things looked really bad. But when he came out with a defiant explanation that he was able to clear his name based on allegations in reporting around this FBI trial, Will Wade seems equally confident. And in the same way that Arizona has stood by Sean Miller, I do believe LSU will stand by Will Wade. How much of an impact do you think? Because I remember specifically being on the radio when this whole scandal started, you know, started to unfold and everybody's the first reaction was this is going to change college basketball. It's going to totally change the landscape. And yet here we are, you know, long time later, nothing really has changed. Are any of these wiretaps or anything that unfold, do you think they're going to make a significant change to college basketball? No, I think it's uh, a, a slap on the hand from a ruler with a teacher. I think it's it's going to curb some of the more uh, egregious efforts to market high school basketball players to, and to drive up the sum of money. I, I believe that the reason why the federal government got involved is because the sums of money just got too big. And I think that... Now what we're going to see as the adjustment to that is things that are a little bit more careful, a lot more innuendo, <laughs> maybe a lot more, um, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, and a lot less of, hey, it's going to be $80,000. Can you uh, get on a plane right now with the cash and duffel bag and hand deliver it, Mr. Early, please? No, I, I think that the egregious uh, transferring of money for the commitment of basketball players, particularly high school basketball players to colleges, I think that that is going to be curbed. And instead, this influence, this innuendo, this recruiting, I mean, I I even think about the recruiting of Zion Williamson that we're seeing right now. Is it Nike or Adidas or Puma? Is it going to be LeBron's clutch management? Or is it going to be Jay-Z's Rock Nation? I mean, 
this stuff is going to happen in terms of trying to obtain the commitment and the loyalty of these individual brand marketers. And that's going to continue. I just don't think it's going to be as much cold, hard cash and a lot more innuendo moving forward. All right, everybody knows the Blue Bloods of college basketball are going to have a chance to talk about Kentucky. You're at Duke UNC this weekend. Give me some mid-majors to watch out for as we're getting closer and closer to tournament time. Man, I am so excited to watch what Buffalo is going to do to some teams in the NCAA tournament. This is one of the fastest teams in the entire country. Nate Oates has taken over this Buffalo program, which already had elevated itself just a little bit, and he is just hammering down on that gas pedal. They've got a senior named C.J. Massenburg, and he is leading a group of seniors that have seen this Buffalo program rise. And we've been talking about Nevada all season. But I'll tell you what, I think Buffalo greater than Nevada when we're talking about some of the most dangerous mid-majors. Obviously, non-Gonzaga region. Gonzaga is just a different team altogether. But when you're looking for that dark horse, when you're thinking who is going to be the mid-major that's going to make it out of the first weekend into the Sweet 16 and and maybe even just a little bit further, I mean, don't, don't look at the Wolfpack that have been in the top 25 all year. Look at this Buffalo team that has had to slowly creep up in the rankings and seems to be playing some of its best ball. Blinding fast, solid on the defensive end, senior-led. It's all the things that you like to see in a mid-major team that's ready to go on a Cinderella run. Awesome stuff, Chip. Hey, enjoy the game. Enjoy Chapel Hill. It should be a fun one. Thanks, Danny. All right, let's keep it rolling here on Canel and Bell as we're talking college hoops. Last night I was on social media, and you know I follow a lot of college football players to kind of see what's going on in their mind, teams, accounts. Sam Elliger, quarterback, who I really like at Texas. I think Texas is going to be one of the hottest teams, a very trendy pick next year uh, for the Big 12. They had their big win over Georgia uh, in their bowl game. Love Sam Elliger, what he brings to the table. Was not so high on his tweets the other night. And he comes out, it's not so much, I, I don't mind players speaking their mind. I don't mind them coming forward and trying to change the game when you speak, when you speak about the, the greater landscape of amateurism and college athletics as we know it. But what I do mind is when you mislead people. So the tweet that he had out there read, consider a full-time unpaid internship that requires one to four years of participation with a minimum 40-hour work week. This internship generates millions of dollars for your company and billions of dollars for the broadcasting companies that cover your industry. So let me just start with a couple of the uh, the problems that I have with it. One, is Sam Ellinger, is he self-reporting Texas for violating the 20-hour work rule that they're supposed to have in place i get it it's a joke i spent way more than 20 hours uh, at the football facility in tallahassee when i was playing at for, uh, florida state but 40 hours it's nowhere close so if you want to go out there and say you're spending 40 hours a week then ncaa needs, needs to start looking into what's going on in texas i don't think it's true i think he's trying to make a statement saying hey we work a full-time job which sometimes it feels like that but in the real work world it's nowhere close. You work probably about 25 hours a week, and it's a lot of fun. You play a game, dude. <laughs> You're playing a sport. Um, the other thing he said is consider a full-time unpaid internship. All right, so Sam Ellinger, are you foregoing your stipend that every Power 5 player gets? That's usually around a 1000 bucks a month. Are you that unpaid? That is not for books. That's not for rent. That's all covered. That is your, your rent's covered. Your food is covered. You get all that for free. But are you foregoing your stipend? Because that's cash in your pocket that you get that you're not telling people about. You're saying a full-time unpaid internship. Now, you're getting money. It's not a lot of money, but it's it's cash in your pocket. So you kind of are getting paid. Don't mislead people. Again, I don't. then there's some more numbers. Internship, the internship generates millions of dollars for your company. Yes, Texas makes millions of dollars. That is true. Uh, but billions of dollars for the broadcasting companies? 
There's a lot of misleading numbers that are out there. I don't know if the broadcasting companies are making billions. Yes, billions of dollars change hands, but the actual profits that they take home from college sports are far from billions uh, in a year. So I, I think there's some misleading stuff that's coming out from Sam Ellinger, who the purpose of his tweets was to support Congressman Mark Walker of uh, North Carolina, who is trying to propose that college athletes could be paid for their uh, likeness, uh, which I think that's probably the, the direction we're going to go. That's where we're going to end up going with college athletics, which I think people are going to be surprised there's not that much money out there. You know, for the big guys, for Zion Williamson, for uh, a Kyler Murray, if he had gone back for a Heisman Trophy winner, yeah, there'll be a lot of money for them. But for the majority of them, not much is going to change. And I'll actually take that compromise as opposed to, yeah, we're going to have these guys work and they're going to have to be paid salaries. That would be an absolute disaster because you would have programs shutting down, maybe not their football and basketball programs, but all of their secondary sports, their non-revenue sports, just so that football and basketball could survive. So you'd see soccer teams, uh, women's lacrosse, uh, you know, pick your sport, baseball at a lot of schools would be shut down so they could fund the football and basketball programs. And I think that would be a complete disaster. So the compromise I'm willing to make to all these dudes crying about not getting paid, go ahead. Let them get paid for their likeness because the money isn't that great. All right. Welcome back. Kenell and Bell. We went to the bullpen, got our guy Jamie Eisenberg in here. Thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. I need somebody to help me out here. Um, <laughs> so I just teased Phil Mickelson's wild shot at Donald Public. You play a little bit of golf. See, here's where I love about Phil is that you could be a 20 handicap and you've been out there and you've tried some stupid stuff, right? Because you're like, I'll try it out of the water. I don't care. I just want to swing at it. Just see if I can get it up there. That's basically what Arnold Palmer, or not Arnold Palmer, Phil Mickelson did at the Arnold Palmer in Orlando. Here's one of the, like, Phil is known for taking these crazy risks. So he is lefty, of course. He turned it around club upside down and tried to take this hack at it. And then he showcased some of the flexibility, which I'm still astounded by some of Phil's athletic feats. This is amazing. <laughs> what do you I mean, think is more amazing? If the it, the right-handed shot or the the hop over the fence? Well, the hop over the fence for yeah, sure. Yeah, for Because, sure. I mean, look, I, I would imagine Phil Mickelson right-handed would beat me by 10 to 15 strokes. Right. In, in that, uh, in that case, being a lefty, but, uh, Look, that's, uh, that's, that's something else. <laughs> it's crazy. And the thing that's worse is I don't know if you saw the ball actually got caught up in mm-hmm. the, the fence. Yeah. So it ended up landing there, but he's like over the last couple of years, he's showcased some things that nobody knew he had. Like he's, he had the commercial where he was dancing and yep. dodging the balls, which was hilarious. He's got this flexibility now. And now that they allowed the players to wear shorts, he's got like these calves the mon- that would yeah. rival anybody, like any professional athlete in any sport that well, were like shredded. And I think you also got a taste of the trash talking with him and Tiger when they had oh, yeah. head to head. I want to ask you something just because you see this with athletes, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're around the NFL. So a lot of Patrick Mahomes with the left-handed passes and the no-look passes. He's trying something different, you know, hitting the ball right-handed. Have you ever experienced stuff like that when you were playing high school, college, pro, where you're like, I'm doing something that's not the norm of what I'm supposed to do as a quarterback, as an athlete, that has come across like that? So it's interesting you ask that because, and I talked a little bit about this at the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes, because when I got to the New York Giants, Steve DeBerg was our quarterback coach, and he had played, you know, a long time in the NFL – and we would do drills. In He's the still office. playing, right? <laughs> he might, he might be. He actually went back to playing after he was my coach, my rookie year. And I am convinced that he used to play catch with me every day. And in his mind, he was like, I'm better than this guy. <laughs> and I, and then he was like, he was right. He came back and played for the Falcons. Um, but we would go through drills and he was very forward thinking. 
uh, he was one of the first dudes that was trying, like, in practice, he would normally have practice tape, which is up in the high end zone mm-hmm. and on the high sideline. And, like, you see it from a mile away. He actually had a camcorder, like, it was way before cell phone video, and he would stand, like, right in the pocket, like, right behind you. Like, as soon as you drop, you almost hit him. And he was trying to get film from the quarterback's eyes, which I think people are like, well, what's the big deal about that? At that time, it was unheard of. Right. And it was really, it was hilarious because we'd come back and we'd try to watch it and it was awful. Like it was bouncing all around. <laughs> he would forget that it was rolling, yeah. <laughs> like doing all this other stuff. But the other thing that he tried to press us on was peripheral vision. And so he would tell us to try to, you know, look to the right, but then throw across your body to the left, like on a moving target, like during one-on-one drills. Yeah, but it was kind of the no-look pass that he was starting to push for. And throughout my career, I'd mess with it in practice because, and this is what Patrick Mahomes actually said his started too, was when you're running scout team, you have to throw it. They'll circle the receiver that you have to throw it to. Instead of like being able to read it out, you have to throw it to the X receiver. Mm -hmm. So you know where you're going to throw it. And if you stare it down, you're going to get picked off. And you don't even, even though you're running the scout team, you don't want to be picked off. So there were times I would mess with the starting defense. I was running the scout team. I would try to look over to the left and then throw a crossbody and like a no look pass. But I never dreamed (laughs) about throwing it in a game, which makes that even that much more impressive. But these dudes are changing the game like never before. But I mean, it's the same type of thing, you know, like Phil hitting it right hand. You know, these guys, you know, Mahomes throwing it left hand, you know, things that happen in the course of a game that you just don't expect or in the course of a, you know, a golf course that you just don't expect these guys to do because they're superior athletes, yourself included, that you're trying to do things. I'm, I'm complimenting the host. Thank you, thank you. Uh, but you know, you're trying to do things obviously that are going to be a little bit different to have hopefully like in Mickelson's case, some success. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what separates the good the guys that are just average and the guys that are great that they can pull that type of stuff off. Right. Uh, let's talk about a dude who's great. But I think his market is evaporating before our very eyes, and that's Antonio Brown. Um, before we get to the actually, like, where do you think he's going to go? I'm curious to get your thoughts because you've been a reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, how this all unfolded, and should Ian Rappaport take any heat for his reporting? So, uh, first off, no, uh, unless, of course, he's just making this up. But I highly doubt that's the case. I mean, he's clearly a professional. He's at the highest level of NFL reporting and probably reporting in general, you know, when you look at any sport. Uh, what may have happened is this could be the trade that they were expecting to do on Friday. And it could be that it never got to Brown's people. It was just the Steelers and Bills having something in place. And the Steelers were maybe looking to see what else that they can get if it could be a better trade. Um, so Rappaport may have had the parameters of what that trade may be. And then by the time it got to Drew Rosenhaus, who's Antonio Brown's agent or Brown's, you know, other management, they're like, there's no way he's going to Buffalo. Sorry, guys, that's not going to happen. Um, I had a situation one time where it was my first time doing free agency. I'm in my early 20s at the Palm Beach Post, and Terrell Owens is a free agent. I'm covering the Dolphins, and I was the way it used to be because this was a. a and this a, was Rosenhaus as well, right? This was, was not Rosenhaus. Oh, it wasn't. I, I, I'm, I, I've told the story before on one of our fantasy football podcasts. I forget the agent who it was. It was one of. Uh, it was before uh, To got to Drew. Um, in any event, they gave me a list of agents to call. I was the number two guy. Uh, uh, the number one guy took half the agents. I, I probably got the lesser guys, but anyway, To was on on this list, and I called the agent. And I said, "Hey, is To?" looking at the Dolphins, and one of the Dolphins PR guys, or I'm sorry, one of the Dolphins uh, people in management said, if you ever need to verify something, just call me, let me know. So T.O.'s agent says, yes, the Dolphins are one of the teams we're looking at. So I call this guy, and he says, of course we're going to consider T.O. So we have this big story, cover of the newspaper, Dolphins looking at T.O., quotes from the agent, sources from the Dolphins, and, and believe me, it was verified. Um, I have the other beat writers for the Dolphins because I'm a young kid, and, and our guy was was young as well. 
how do you write this? You know, what? Th- th- there's no way the money doesn't work. This doesn't work. Whoever's telling you that they're looking at it is just, you know, helping the agent out. The agent's just trying to pump up his guy. So you get stuff like this that happens where you get stories from different parties that aren't necessarily going to match up or going to come to fruition or things fall apart at the last minute. You know, it could be other teams trying to, you know, the Steelers trying to drum up business for other teams to get into the mix. There are a lot of things at play here. So uh, as Adam Schefter reported, maybe this deal was, was actually in place on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And then by Thursday, it got to Brown's people. And they killed it. All right, so let's dive into actually why I don't think this deal gets done. Because I think Antonio Brown feels like he's a free agent, but he's right. not. He doesn't get to pick and choose where he goes. Right. And that's where I think the Steelers, like you mentioned, they probably did have this deal in place. And then the Bills are like, well, before we sign off on this, are we going to get the guy? Because mm-hmm. he said, I, you know, I want to be in a team that's going to win. I want guaranteed money. I want to restructure my deal. All of which are kind of pipe dreams for me, in my opinion. Um, and then they're like, well, hold on a second. We don't even know if we're getting them. So forget it. I mean, is there, is there a team that's going to be willing to give up the first and then go ahead and guarantee three years of Antonio Brown where you, and on top of that, he's been this kind of toxic, toxic character over the last, couple years of his career i don't i don't i don't think it might not happen yeah it 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 does seem as if the market is shrinking for him for obvious reasons like you laid out uh the one team that i think kind of fits or checks all the boxes that you're saying is is the raiders Mm -hmm. because they have the the salary to spend they have the draft capital to give up and they could sort of put him in a situation where if they do think that they're going to get him to las vegas because i think anybody that the raiders are looking at right now that should be the long-term goal. We know John Gruden doesn't necessarily come across that way. But if anybody is looking at the Raiders and going to Oakland or going to the Raiders or the Raiders looking to acquire, it should be with the long-term goal of you are going to be one of the faces when we make this move. And that's why you're maybe seeing Derek Carr, not necessarily long-term plans. They got rid of Cleo Mack. They got rid of Amari Cooper because they didn't necessarily want to trade them. They want to get younger assets that they can say by year three, year four, whenever they actually do make the move, when everything is done there – that those are pieces that are in place for that franchise, the Raiders franchise, but the Las Vegas Raiders. And so Antonio Brown at 31, like you said, he's been a little bit toxic. Certainly most of that has come in the last few months. But his play is going to start to decline. It started to decline a little bit last year. You know, you just look at the yards per catch coming down from 15 to 12. And so maybe getting passed a little bit by the younger guy and Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, the Raiders would be the team that if he wants to have everything that he wants and they could look at him maybe getting them to that first year of Las Vegas, maybe it does make sense. Because they also have the three draft picks, three yep. first-round draft picks. So they've got kind of money. Throw, throw, out, throw out the one in the top five because that's not happening. No. It's, it's 24 or 27, the two right. that they have at the back end. That's one that could probably make this deal happen. If Antonio Brown is going to agree to play there, and again, like you said, he's not a free agent. They could send him there, find him, and they don't have to pay him anything. They just give up the draft capital again. I think also John Gruden, and he showed it with Martavis Bryant. He was like, "All right, I'll t- I'll try him." Like he's sure. pot- and then Antonio Brown has been way better than Martavis, not even close. Of course. So I think John Gruden is like, "Hey, I get the shiny toy. I'll deal with it." Right. You know, he he, thinking he can keep him happy. Too. The only flip side to that is is that they had a younger. Not as good, but younger receiver in Am- in Amari Cooper, who I believe was 24 at the time that yeah. they traded him, had him under control for another year, or you know the rest of the 2018 season and now 2019, and you have the longevity of what he could become. He's not going to become Antonio Brown. I think you know you've certainly been around the NFL more than I have. You know what a guy is by three four years in. So. But still, you're, you're talking about youth, and youth is clearly going to be a little bit more of a dominant factor when you're giving up that draft capital, and they did get the first-round pick in return, but still you would have had Amari Cooper by comparison to Antonio Brown. I had a crazy idea. You tell me if you like it or hate it, love it or hate it. 
Uh, I said that because uh, I want this to happen. It's not like I just would love to see this happen from a fan standpoint. For the Raiders to make the trade for Antonio Brown, make it happen. You've heard rumors, again, and you don't know, what do you believe, that John Gruden loves Kyler Murray. Yep. Trade up for Kyler Murray, take him, and say, good luck, go stop us. So I put that out on a tweet, and a couple people added in, said, what about Le'Veon Bell? Why not throw him in there? Sure. <laughs> like, if, if Gruden wants offense, like that's, they would probably become one of the top five, top ten offenses instantly just from talent alone. Now, granted, you have a huge unknown in Kyler Murray. You'd have two mercurial athletes on your squad, but they're still really gifted. Do you think there's a chance that any of that could happen? Oh, I sure. I think Antonio Brown could. What about the Le'Veon Bell or Kyle So, Murray? So essentially what would probably get this done is 4 and 24, so the two first-round picks. You have to assume that Arizona would certainly take that phone call because they only moved down three spots, mm-hmm. and they still get the other asset of the late first-round pick. Maybe there's something else on top of that to make that trade. So they get Kyler Murray that way. You trade the 27th pick to the Steelers. If they can get a first-round pick for Antonio Brown at this point, they'd have to take it. And then they have the money, you know, depending on how much they restructure, they still keep themselves in play for Bell, who is looking for the payday. And so if they're the one that, they're the ones that offer the most money, and now it becomes much more attractive because you're not talking about a scaled down team, you're talking about a team with the guy that he's played with, and everybody who's, you know, rushing to, to, whether, whether right or wrong, throw Kyler Murray at the top of the draft. So yeah, it would become very interesting for all things considered. The other, the other side of it though would be is, which Antonio Brown are you getting? Yep. How is he going to, you know, play with a rookie quarterback because he's used to, you know, a Hall of Famer? And then is Le'Veon Bell in shape? Because we know not playing for a year and he had some, you know, conditioning issues that were at least talked about when he was sitting out last season. So it could be something that on paper looks fantastic. And I agree with you. It'll be fun, but it also could be a disaster waiting to happen with the head coach who seems to be coaching a disaster right now. Yep.